Could your racing heart be more than nerves? How can you tell if you have an irregular heartbeat? And what risk factors are associated with an irregular heartbeat? All that and more on this episode of The Healthiest You. So, Mike, uh, we're uh, going to be focusing on heart health uh, for this episode. And, um, you know, definitely something that you should be aware of and keep track of all your life. I don't know about you, Steph, but as a child, I used to be able to hear my heartbeat when I was sleeping in bed. And it would just drive me a little scary, a little crazy. It would just constantly focus on it. So when we talk about this stuff, I'm going to be really into it. I know. And, and I have to tell you, and I don't know if you ever have the sensation, but the minute that like you you get a cut or you stub your toe or something, you feel your heartbeat in that place oh, yeah. that you've injured. Oh, and yeah. it's like it's pulsing through whatever it is that you just injured until it goes away. Now, we hear a lot about cardiovascular health during February, but today we're going to be talking about one specific heart condition atrial fibrillation. Which is also known as an irregular heartbeat. September is atrial fibrillation month and is dedicated to bringing more awareness to this condition. Dr. Hari Joshi, cardiologist with Lehigh Valley Heart and Vascular Institute, is joining us to help shed some light on atrial fibrillation, or AFib, and why it's important to diagnose the condition early. Hello, doctor. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Really good. Can we just say AFib from now on? Because atrial fibrillation is way too much work for me. Yeah, most of us call it AFib at work as well. Well, let's get right to it. What exactly is it? So this is a irregular heart rhythm that uh, originates in the upper chambers of the heart, which are called atria, hence the name atrial fibrillation. Um, and it's characterized by a very irregular electrical activity uh, in those upper chambers. And that, in turn, uh, causes multiple things. It can cause your heart to beat irregularly, sometimes beat very fast. Um, but it also causes the heart to beat not at its full capacity. Um, in addition, then it has um, the chance of uh, forming tiny blood clots on the inside of the heart. And in some patients, not all, uh, increases their risk of uh, getting a stroke from it. Is this a common condition? Um, yes. And the truth of the matter is we don't fully know what the exact numbers are um, because some patients truly don't feel any symptoms from this condition. But we do know that um, it is increasing um, in prevalence. Uh, we are seeing more and more cases of it. And uh, it's most likely related to the fact that our population as a whole is getting older. And this tends to be more of a problem with uh, older individuals. Now, you say it's when your heart starts racing faster. I know, like, if you exercise, you feel your heart's going a little faster. Steph said you can feel it in your thumb. What are some signs and symptoms of AFib? Yeah, so that's a great point. Um, your heart does race for other reasons um, other than AFib. And in probably in most, patient, uh, most people, in most situations, the racing heart is not abnormal, especially when you're exercising or maybe under stress or in pain, uh, things like that. But um, when it is abnormal is when it starts racing for no apparent reason um, or when it starts racing rather abruptly and suddenly. Um, it is also abnormal if um, the feeling of the racing or irregular heart is associated with unusual shortness of breath, sometimes lightheadedness, dizziness, fatigue. Um, the symptoms can be variable, but in most cases, patients know that something is not quite right and they end up eventually seeking attention uh, from their doctor. 
Now, it may be normal to feel a flutter in your heart every once in a while you began to touch on physical activity. Uh, what else can cause that sensation? Like, for example, uh, caffeine, does that contribute to that? Um, yeah, so caffeine can make your heart beat faster. It actually may also be, make your heart beat harder. So while the actual heart rate may not be fast, um, after especially uh, two or three cups of uh, coffee, some people might feel their heart beating or pounding in their chest. Um, so caffeine definitely can do that. Um, you know, we talked about exercise. Just simple pain can do that. Uh, it increases adrenaline levels in your body, and uh, that can cause your heart to beat faster as well as harder. Um, so there's a variety of reasons that could do that. Um, and, of course, there's abnormal heart rhythms can, that can do that as well. Is there any case where there are no symptoms present? And if so, when should you talk to a physician about being tested? Um, yes, um, there, there are patients who have their AFib diagnosed, um, you know, they got checked up for another reason. And a very common one is a routine annual physical, or um, they need a physical as part of getting um, health insurance or life insurance and, uh, or an employment physical. And that's when AFib is discovered um, on their EKG. Um, in... Some patients, they truly don't have any symptoms. And of course, those are the ones we worry about the most because they will see no reason to see a doctor. Um, and then they might end up uh, showing up for the first time with some serious problems that may result down the line from AFib or untreated AFib. But in my experience, I've found that in most cases, if, a, if you ask the patient carefully about their activities or exercise or how much they can do and how much they could do, let's say six months ago or a year ago, there is almost always a hint. And what I see is a some degree of shortness of breath, activities that they could do previously. I could golf 18 holes without having to stop to catch my breath last year. This year, not so much. So there is always a little bit of a hint, even in those asymptomatic patients, that something is not quite right that my activity levels are not right, uh, or sometimes they just have fatigue that they cannot explain. So usually we can pick up some subtle symptoms, even in those patients that were felt to be asymptomatic. How is AFib diagnosed? So it is a heart rhythm condition. And so the way to diagnose it is with some form of a electrical recording of the heart's electrical activity. And in most common cases. It's just a simple EKG that's done right in the doctor's office. Um, in other cases, um, we end up having to use a heart monitor that the patients can wear anywhere from 24 hours to even up to a month. Um, and uh, that can pick up episodes of AFib that may come and go because that's what it can do is patients feel symptoms. They last for, let's say, an hour. By the time they go to the doctor, everything is back to normal. And, um, you know, then that may not be diagnosed in the doctor's office. But most of the time, a monitor is able to pick this up. Um, the clue can be just even on the physical exam. It's a very characteristic, irregular heart rhythm, as we define it as irregularly irregular. So it truly has no pattern to it. Um, and we can pick that up just on a physical exam if it's occurring at the time. 
Doctor, what exactly are the risk factors of AFib? And more importantly, this is something I think everyone's already thinking, is this hereditary? Um, there is some evidence that it can be a familial condition. Um, there has been one gene identified that seems to uh, predict uh, occurrence of atrial fibrillation, and that does pass on from generation to generation. But in the U.S., we have not seen it that much. It has been mostly seen in Southern Europe. Um, but I'm sure that there might be other genetic markers that we haven't yet identified. Um, having said that, I feel that in most cases, when we see multiple cases in one family, it does have to do with certain risk factors. The most common one being age, uh, but then uh, there are others. Uh, there's presence of high blood pressure. Uh, obesity is a very common risk factor. And then a big one is presence of um, underlying condition called uh, sleep apnea, which in turn is related to obesity as well. Um, so these are all risk factors that can contribute to atrial fibrillation. And we shouldn't forget uh, there are some lifestyle issues like consumption of alcohol. Consumption of alcohol in really any amount does increase, unfortunately, the risk of getting AFib, especially if you have some of the other conditions that I listed earlier. For some people, diet and exercise can help prevent certain heart conditions. Is there any way to prevent AFib? And I believe you started to address that just a second ago. Yeah, um, that's a that's a great question. Uh, absolutely. In fact, that has now become uh, a rather major part of my advice when I see patients for the first time who have been diagnosed with uh, AFib. Um, we are seeing more and more uh, evidence from clinical trials that have been performed that um, you mentioned diet and exercise, but it basically comes down to a heart-healthy lifestyle. The same things that we recommend patients to follow for prevention of heart attacks and strokes tend to be also effective in reducing the risk of AFib. So regular aerobic exercise, or what we call cardio, um, you know, keeping the weight down, um, uh, mental health, maybe stress reduction, meditation, whatever it may be, um, all these have been shown to also help reduce um, the chances of getting AFib. Now, one specific one for AFib is what I mentioned earlier, which is alcohol intake. So, um, you know, we know that um, a little bit of alcohol intake is not necessarily a bad thing in terms of prevention of heart attack or stroke. But where AFib is concerned, certainly alcohol in any amount is uh, really not um, a good idea because it does greatly increase the risk of getting AFib. Doctor, tell us why it's so important to uh, make sure the AFib is diagnosed as soon as possible if a person happens to have it. Yeah, so there's um, actually a couple of reasons why early diagnosis would be important. Um, there's um, AFib, as we mentioned earlier, um, can be without any symptoms. And uh, sometimes then, we end up seeing patients who have some end results of the heart racing for quite a while. And that can lead to a condition called congestive heart failure, which is basically um, the heart is just um, gets weaker over time from having to beat that fast for that long. Um, and that can lead to some other major health problems, uh, almost always results in the patient getting hospitalized. Um, 
there's other reasons. Um, some patients who have AFib have an increased chance of getting a stroke from it. Um, that's usually the case when it's an older individual who also has some other medical conditions, such as high blood pressure, diabetes, particularly if they've had a prior stroke. In that case, if they also have AFib, their risk of getting another stroke is, is actually rather high compared to the average individual. And it's sad when we often see AFib diagnosed for the first time when the patient actually gets admitted because they had a stroke. And to me, that's an opportunity missed because we could have potentially prevented that stroke. Um, and then finally, it comes to um, when AFib is diagnosed in its early stages, any treatment that we use for the AFib is also more likely to succeed. When AFib has been present for years, um, any treatment we use is a little bit less successful because it's almost as if it gets more and more entrenched in the heart's electrical memory. So for multiple reasons, early diagnosis of atrial fibrillation is always beneficial. Since we were just talking about it, what are some of the warning signs of stroke? Yeah, so um, stroke can present in multiple ways, but um, the most common ones uh, to remember, and most people may have seen posters on this at uh, various health fairs, uh, a sudden um, loss of function of one of one part of your body, let's say an arm or a leg or even a whole side of the body, um, that certainly everybody will recognize as signs of stroke. Other signs can be somewhat subtle. Um, sometimes it's just a droop on one side of the face um, where one corner of your mouth droops. Um, sometimes people only notice it because they start dropping a cup of let's say, water that they're trying to pick up and their hand just doesn't do the job. Sometimes they try and drink and the water, water dribbles out from the side of their mouth. Um, and then in other cases, it can be more an issue of comprehension or speech where you're trying to say something to the person and they don't understand you or they're trying to tell you something and they just can't get the words out or they get the words out, but they're in the wrong order or wrong context. So all of these signs can be signs of stroke. And it's important to remember that most patients that pre present with a stroke have had no pain at all. So sometimes people feel that if I'm not having pain, I'm okay. No, stroke can be a completely painless type of uh, presentation. Um, and very, very important to recognize these symptoms. And if they are present, then to seek treatment almost uh, immediately. And your best chance in that situation is to call 911. Doctor, are there treatments available for AFib? Yes. Um, I think our medical science has progressed quite a bit in the last 20 years uh, in the treatment of AFib. I will say that as of now, and I always say this to my patients, um, that we don't I don't think we can say we have a cure for AFib. Uh, the way it is right now, we have to think of AFib as a chronic disease where we manage to get it under control or get it in remission, as we can call it. Uh, but absolutely, AFib can be treated, um, treated quite effectively in most cases, and patients can go on to lead a perfectly normal life. Um, treatment can include various options. They can include, as we mentioned earlier, simple lifestyle modification or treatment of underlying risk factors. 
um, but then it can include more sophisticated medications uh, called heart rhythm medications or antiarrhythmic medications. I do a lot of procedures called ablation procedures uh, that can help uh, con- get that AFib under control and can allow patients to lead a normal life without having to use a lot of medications. And in, in some cases, we end up having to use um, um, pacemakers, um, which is um, a heart rhythm controlling device that is implanted into the body. And so there are various different ways that AFib can be treated, various different ways for different patients, because the treatment tends to be customized for each individual patient, depending on their circumstances. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Joshi, for joining us today. My pleasure, guys. Thank you. It was a pleasure speaking with you and learning more about AFib. To make your appointment, call 888-402-LVHN or visit lvhn.org slash cardiology. And remember, be safe, be smart, be the healthiest you.